I must go down to the sea again, to the sands of Brilliant Bay, but I'm comfy here in my hammock, and the beach seems a long way away. The beach is far too far for us. Tis a hundred yards from here. We've got all these lovely books to discuss, and a brilliant guest. Yes, it's Ed Veer. I was I'm very good. I've had a, an unusual time in my hammock this month. And what about yourself? I'm very well, Frank. I've been busy on the um, island of brilliant vegetable plots. Oh, what are you growing there? Got some spuds, got some beetroot, got some carrots, got some Twixes, because I was really missing Twixes. Right, that's good. The Twix harvest will be coming in shortly. <laughs> you like a Twix? I've not even checked if you like no, a Twix. No, I like a Twix, like a Twix, and we're not going to have a semantic battle about whether that's a biscuit or a chocolate bar, are we? It's a vegetable. It's no, coming off your that. pot. Let's... It's a vegetable. It's obviously a vegetable. People who say otherwise are absolute idiots. Can I ask what you've been reading? Well, I've read a book. Well done. About allotments, for one thing. Have you really? <laughs> yeah. Well, I've been reading... T- there's two things to my reading this month. I've read a lot of middle grade books because I'm helping to judge the weak junior book competition. So I don't really feel I can speak about any of those. Except for one, which is Seed by Carol Lewis. And I feel I can talk about that because I reviewed it and blurbed it. I thought it was mm-hmm. great. And that's the one that's about an allotment. Oh, and it's a strangely wonderful book about... It's basically... This is going to sound disrespectful, but it's very similar to George and the Giant Peach. James, James and the, the Giant Peach. Giant <laughs> it's the sun. The sun is getting to me. So it's a bit like James and the Giant Peach in that it includes a giant vegetable and it, you, okay. it's not too much of a giveaway to say that there's a trip is made. It becomes a form of transport. Okay. But it's very specific about the cultivation of that giant vegetable. So it's not, it just doesn't happen just by magic. There's a lot of detail about how to grow this humongous pumpkin, which is a boy and his granddad do it. Is this an illustrated book? No, it's not an illustrated book. And that's what I was coming to. The other thing is that I have read a lot of picture books because my granddaughter um, was quite ill and she was taken oh. to A&E. Mm. And then my daughter said, well, you'll have to look after her. So she was dropped here by her ambulance right? Yes. with a lot of picture books. Yeah, she's been helping me out on the vegetable plot. She's been helping you. And I'm sure she said to you what she said to me. I was taken to B&Q this morning at five o'clock for my leg (laughs) so we've read lots of picture books uh, including some classics like Dear Zoo Mm -hmm. and I I can make Dear Zoo last a long time by acting like a monkey and acting like an elephant and she loves (laughs) loves loves a book called Nibbles the Book Monster and I'm usually very distrustful about books about books but she loves Nibbles the Book Monster because it's very lots of flaps and things in it Yeah, Uh, that's by Emma Yarlett yeah I know that one and we also read a new one, uh, Under the Table, which is by Alan Alberg and Bruce Ingham. And I was really interested in that because, well, I, lots about it appealed to me. It's got a lot of detail in it. And there's mm. two schools of thought on picture books, isn't there? There's like the very, very simple or the very, very detailed. And the Alan Alberg books that I remember with my own kids when they were younger were the, these very detailed, very nostalgic ones like Peepo mm-hmm. or Each Peach Per Plum, where there'd be lots and lots of detail that would lead you right into the picture and you could spend a long time looking at each picture Mm. so under the table is a bit like that but it's also got this thing that I'd forgotten that I loved which is that it's got um, things that happen in it that are quite magical is the wrong word because magic is a kind of explanation it's set in a very ordinary world in which there are things happening that just wouldn't happen but nobody seems very surprised by do you know what I mean? I know exactly. So I loved, so there's a, well, it's called Under the Table because there's an elephant under the table. Okay. But, and then the elephant introduces itself and helps clean the car. And that's it. So, you know, <laughs> and no, nobody goes, well, there shouldn't be an elephant in the room. That sounds brilliant. Or there shouldn't be penguins in the fridge. And I loved books like that. There's this sort of beautiful book set in Paris about a friendly lion. Oh. In which, like, nobody questioned the fact, or, or you know, Barbara in a way as well, that nobody questions the fact Is that, that the happy an lion? The happy lion, that's what I meant. And one that my own kids loved My growing up was 
I don't know if you remember this. This is American, I think, by Jay Siebold and Vivian Walsh. Mr. Lunch. Do you remember Mr. Lunch? Have you come across Mr. Lunch? I Mr. haven't. Lunch I've amazing. got a... I've got a cosmic feeling that our guest Ed Veer might have come across that but I have not. It's so good. Mr Lunch is a dog who runs a business chasing pigeons and it's a business and he takes phone calls. He has favoured penguins that he favours and then it's like (laughs) he has a diary Uh, he goes on a flight at one point and it says things like oh because Mr Lunch was a dog they made him go in the hold. And it's like (laughs) (laughs) Also Mr Lunch his name is Mr Lunch that's the best name for a dog. Mr Lunch and one of the greatest moments in any picture book is where Mr Lunch finds himself in St Mark's Square in Venice confronted by many 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 pigeons it's like, oh, the expression on his I face need, is to be behold held. I need to I, okay I want to find a copy of this book immediately that sounds brilliant so it just gave me a lot to think about really that you know th- that whole thing about detail and also about stories that are like I said ma- magic provides an explanation there's literally no explanation of why there's an elephant involved in this family at all. I like and that. That's kind I think of great. And it makes you get... want to live in that world. Yeah. I mean, we've, you know? I think we've touched on this before that if you get two books that get too bogged down in explaining the why of the fun bit, really annoy me. It's like, just give me the fun bits. The band Roxette, their greatest hits album, yeah. is called Don't Bore Us, Get to the Chorus. Oh, and that's, that's so my motto good. for life. Yeah, yeah. It's like, come on, get to the good bit. Isn't that um, a Terry Pratchett thing as well? His only writing advice was cut out the bits that people skip. That's a nugget, isn't it? I'm going to try and remember that. <laughs> I'm going to staple that to my forehead. Well, maybe not. Maybe I'll stick it on the wall. But I think what was appealing to me, like what this really took me back to the happy lion. You know, it was really... reviving for me to be reading those books again and to remember how important picture books have been and that one of the things that was really attractive was wanting to be in them yeah if the picture's big enough you can project yourself into them that was really 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 special and also this is might be controversial but there's a tug in picture book history isn't there between kind of nonsense Mm. and good sense so there's Mm -hmm. quite a strong going right back to the beginning of picture books which i think is like 17th century in Comenius it's like they're instructional Mm. you know this is how to be a better person or live a better life or be nicer to the planet or whatever and then there's also a kind of more anarchic Lewis Carroll Edward Lear thing of where you you, it's almost like a confrontation between those two things so a lot of the poems in Alice in Wonderland are um, are actually cautionary verses that he's taken and and changed around Um, so the the fun and I think for me the, the most fun are those where there's something completely unexplained. I think, especially um, if it's lions. That's, that's interesting. I wonder if that's because you've got to cater for different audiences with picture books. You cater yeah, to parents sure. and children and teachers. And some people, just the order that they put that audience in is a bit different. Maybe, maybe the, yeah. maybe even without realizing, they're kind of catering more for an adult audience and then the kids. I don't know. I'm very aware that a kid who comes to school whose first experience of books is being you know, on a couch with someone who loves them is mm. at a massive advantage from someone whose first experience of books is something to decode. Yeah, absolutely. And so that, like, picture books are the most the most important books, I think, from that point of view. And if you write a picture book that allows both the adult and the child to enjoy it, then that's, you're turbocharging that wonder, you know? So yeah, there's a, there, there is a lot I want to say about this, friend. And I also want to tell you about the books I've been reading. But the thing is, I'm a bit distracted because um, if you just look, just look out there, look on the horizon. What is that? What is it? It looks like a walrus of some kind. A walrus is shouting some opinions about picture books. It's a very, some kind of hairy marine mammal. Just let me in. <laughs> Hang on a tick. It's Ed Veer covered, it's, it's covered in goose fat. Oh, oh try, well, try yourself off, man. Guys, Nadia, you, you told me it was a quick swim. You said get in the beach at Brighton, turn right after the pier. I've been swimming for three days. You know, I've been a bit, I've always been a bit loosey <laughs> with directions. I found myself swimming in circles. I'm very concerned about what the goose fat is going to do in this heat. I think you're going Has to it be... been keeping you a lot? Have you been licking your arms there? I've been licking my uh, forearms and I've had a few toe nibbles. You didn't mention the sharks and you didn't mention the sea lion colony that I uh, washed up with. Yeah. 
They're always nice to me. Yeah, most of them were nice, but <laughs> I've been towing this crate of uh, fig rolls. Nadia mentioned she oh. loved fig, fig rolls. rolls. I was going to bring ginger nuts, no. which are my favourite, but Nadia specified fig rolls. I said I hate fig she rolls. Because I, I got some cheese as well. Oh, brilliant. Well, this is great. Do you not like it? cheese? <laughs> you know I don't like cheese. Oh, I've forgotten that. You've done this deliberately. Well, thanks for nothing, Ed. Thanks for the See big you later. Well, anyway, oh. listen, I, I, I was swimming in circles and I, I felt I was getting lost, but I heard these warm, dulcet radio tones and I just <sighs> followed this beautiful voice and I discovered it was Frank. <gasps> Yay! Yay. <laughs> so thanks, Frank. I found my way here thanks entirely oh, to you and your beautiful, warm, dulcet radio tone. It's been a, a lovely a, a chat. Be- a, a beautiful manner, I have to say. Thank you, Ed. Nadia, yours is pretty good. That's all too. we've got time for on the island of Brilliant. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, She's going to say now none of Ed's books is available in good or yes. any good bookshop. Yeah. All of Ed's books have been deleted. <laughs> thanks. <laughs> Hello, I'm only joking with you. you. Come and sit <laughs> on this lodge. I know you're a bit slippery. I love what you've done with the place. Thanks. It's gorgeous. The hammocks. Yeah, Do you want a Twix? This little it's hammock for me. I'll, I'd love a Twix. It's, yeah, is it melted? Twix for my vegetable plot. Uh, yeah, a little bit, but it's fine. Okay, you that's just okay. I can handle it. that. Just scoop yeah. it. Scoop in motion. I'll put it on top of a fig roll. And, oh, yeah. no. <laughs> I don't think anyone okay. likes fig rolls today. I genuinely do quite like them. But okay. But as I was swimming in, I heard uh, Frank talking about a wonderful book, Mr. Lunch. I just had to add my vote to that. It's just so funny. And the illustrations, Jay Otto Seibolt, absolutely phenomenal. Amazing. Does he still make picture books? Do we know? He paints. I think he lives in LA. I'm not sure if he carried on with the children's books you do a lot of painting don't you Eduardo? I do a bit of painting you do you a know. little bit of that but primarily in between you're a suit you're a picture book superstar aren't you i do a few picture books I, you know i'm i hang on to your coattails nadia true can't lie no you know that i was looking you up on the island of brilliant solar powered internet uh just to get some it's a new thing about you yeah it's a new thing it's a bit it's a bit glitchy but it's okay You've been making picture books for quite a while now. The Getaway, that was, what, 2007? Was... Yeah, exactly, 2007. That was my first picture book. and The first one of yours I ever read, which I loved, is Banana. Oh, thank you. Which, if yeah. listeners have not come across Banana, it's a work of genius because there is one word throughout Two. the entire book. Two, of course. Yes, Two words. Yes, yeah, yeah. sorry, sorry, that's important to say. But there is mostly one word throughout the entire book, which is Banana. In terms of like parent performance or teacher performance, you have to be theatrical. Yeah, when I, when yeah. I was a, a sort of blushing young chap who was always shy about you know going to schools and reading my books, Banana was a nightmare because you can't read it in any other way but theatrically. You have yeah, so, otherwise you are literally just yeah. saying banana, banana, banana. Yeah, banana. yeah, and it's all the sort of permutations of how you can say and all the meaning you can put into one word. I, I guess it's all about how picture books work is how the text works with a picture and all the sort of visual information you get from the expressions of the two monkeys mm. sort of shows you how this one word can be interpreted in many, many different ways. Where did that come from? It's pure laziness, N- Nadia. <laughs> and I know you understand that like me. Yeah, no, I just thought, yeah, I w- no, I was doing a follow-up to The Getaway mm. and The Getaway was sort of very much inspired by film noir and all that sort of stuff, so it had photographic backgrounds. And I was doing this madly convoluted sequel to it and it was just doing my head in. And oh. I, it, it was just too busy, I was overthinking it all. And there was one character, which was a monkey, and I just mucked about with this drawing of a monkey and he did his own little skit, which was just asking the audience for a banana. And that felt like, ah, okay, maybe this is a book. Yeah. You know, all the overthinking is overthinking. Banish that. Mm. And Uh, sometimes you have to wade through so much. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I wish I'd I'd come up with the text first 
Because I, I, I would have loved to try and sell that to a publisher. Yeah, it's just the word banana written seven times, then please, then banana, then please. Anyone interested? But it's genius, isn't it? It is exactly what you just said. It invites the parent or the carer or the bigger sibling or the teacher to be a performer. You know, it says, look, the person that you're with is amazing. So it's, you pass on some of the amazingness of the book to the reader. Because I was a bit shy about, you know, going into schools. I used to get kids to read it to me. So wow, I'd, I'd, I'd have a PowerPoint and I would spell out the letters for banana. So a B mm. flashes up and all the kids enthusiastically go B, then A, then N as you flick along. And then Brilliant. somebody guesses it's banana. And then I say, okay, look at the expressions. And you've got to say the word as you see it being expressed in the pictures. Oh, nice. Fabulous. Years ago, I was invited to go to the Hay Festival in India, in Kerala. And <gasps> it was, was amazing. And I know, I'm sorry. Well, you know, I don't know. I don't know. But anyway, I was, so I was there for a week, had an incredible week. Mm. And, and my event was right at the end of the week. And I watched... Just after lunch on the Friday, I watched this huge tent fill up to capacity. Not a single person walked in under the age of 25. <laughs> and they said, can you do an hour for five to six-year-olds? And that side, walking down the central aisle to the stage, turning around and looking out at this sea of highly intelligent faces. And I thought, oh my God. God, what are we going to do? So I, so I said, I was honest, I said, I'm supposed to be uh, delivering an hour for five to six-year-olds. Could oh. you be five or six for the next hour? And I explained what I've just said to you. I normally get the kids to read this to me. So, yeah. so I flashed up the first B. Twelve people maybe sort of said B. And then I flashed up the A, eight people helping me out said hey so i gave him a pep talk i said come on guys you're five <laughs> years old you're really excited to be here da, da, da. the next n 10 people said n and i thought oh my god i've got 59 minutes and 47 seconds left please a hole in the ground swallow me up and i got to the second n and this 87 year old man in the second row slowly stood up as though to leave <laughs> And then he said, banana. <laughs> and then the whole, the whole tent just sort of got it. And they were kids for an hour. It was amazing. Oh, wow. they must have loved it. it. Or did they boo you off? No, they booed me off at the end. No, no, it was great. <laughs> they, they, they were drawing monsters and, and no, they, oh, they totally no. got it. But it was this one man who changed the whole tone of the event. Well, Ed... A surprise for you, but that man is here today. <laughs> I am that 87-year-old. Frank, <laughs> thank you so and much. And voice. <laughs> and I'm going to say, let's do it all again. Come on. I'm overcome Come on. with emotion. On, Frank, uh, first of all, I have to say thank you. Here's the book. Yay, banana. And this book is based on me and my brother when we were about five and six. Mm. I am the smug older brother. Awesome. And so the picture for for the folks who can't see at home, there is uh, there are two monkeys. One in a blue t-shirt is tossing a, a banana, and the other one is in the background clamouring for that banana. There are no words yep. on that page. The next page is the older monkey grasping his banana, turning around in fear-ish. Frank. And Nadia, take it away. Banana. All right, let's take it in turns then. Banana. And the next page, there's a bit of snatching going on. <gasps> Banana. Ooh, and for this page, you need to take a deep breath in. Okay. And... Banana! <laughs> and then I think it's Frank's turn. Banana. <laughs> then there's... There's somebody listening for a, what I believe is a magic word. Please? And then, banana is delivered. Banana. Oh, come on, Frank, you can do better than that. The, the joy of banana. receiving a banana. Banana. <laughs> but that little tyke has taken the whole banana. <gasps> oh, my goodness. Leaving nothing 
that generous older brother, me. Cheeky. Who then rushes up to say... Please! And then the most unlikely ending is that they share it. And they both say... Banana! Banana! <laughs> <laughs> okay, I, I award you 10 out of 10. Dude, Brilliant. that's generous, Ed. That's I, I know it is very generous. Yeah, okay, five out Apologies of ten. Apologies to the listeners. I hope you're still here. Ed, um, banana. That was just merely one of your many, many fine picture books. But let's not trawl through them all. No, let's because not. Because you'll, you'll get too big-headed. You may have heard us say nice things about the artist. I did. Which I recently I enjoyed did. very Thank much. you. Thank you so much. But I want to know, because the artist, I think, is quite a soulful book. It speaks in its own very subtle way about creativity and art and and all those sorts of values. And I wonder when you were growing up, what were you reading? Who were you hanging out with? Who read to you? Like, Describe your bookish childhood and kind of how you think some of those influences have maybe fed into the work that you now make. Well, I guess... Talking about the artist, I, I was probably someone at school who was good at drawing at school, but not in any way. Like English comprehension was an unending nightmare for me. So that book was really... So I'd done a lot of work with the Centre for Literacy and Primary Education, sort of co-creating mm-hmm. a course with them called The Power of Pictures. Yes, The Power of Pictures. That, Nadia, I know you delivered a course there recently. Before I was banished to the island, I did Before actually... Before you were banished, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's a course for teachers, isn't it? It is. It's a course for teachers, and it's recognising the fact that a lot of kids give up drawing at a certain age. And I was wondering, why do they lose confidence in something that they most kids, when they arrive at primary school, draw, and it's an innate thing they don't have to be taught, and they express themselves. And that's really, really important. And somehow that withers on the vine for the majority of kids around the age of eight. And that they learn there's a right or a wrong. So, so that course was sort of speaking to teachers about visual literacy and recognising that a lot of teachers, probably like the children, stop drawing at that age and then can yeah. sometimes pass on a lack of confidence around drawing. And it explains what's going on in the pictures to teachers so they understand the full sort of richness of a picture book. And if you allow that discussion to open in class around pictures, not just the text, you allow a lot of kids in. So there are kids who are academic thinkers, that wasn't me, and kids who are visual thinkers. And the sort of visual thinkers can feel a bit left behind. I certainly did. And then the book, The Artist, came out of that, really. So a lot of that thinking went into the book. And I haven't answered your question at all. What did you want to know? You wanted to know what I read as well, a young lad. Who, well, I guess, yeah, what were the, you know, picture books or otherwise, the illustrators and writers who kind of shaped well, the way you maybe look at the world or who, good, who've had a big good, influence good on question. you? Good question, good question, Nadia. So a really great friend of my mum was somebody you may have heard of called Jan Bienkowski. Wow. So oh. I was almost... My mum went into labour at his house. No. And oh, my goodness. I, I was born in a hospital, but I've known him and his partner, David, all my... So David's my godfather, and I, I've known them all my life. Wow. Which was so... I mean, you don't think of it when you're... Well, actually, I felt lucky when I was, you know, four or five, but... To, to see somebody who drew for a living, his, his studio was in the basement of this lovely house that they, they lived in. Jan died sadly last year. But he was such, both of them together lived such an amazing creative life. And it was always full of laughter and a sense of freedom. And, and that was an incredible influence on me yeah. into sort of ways you can live a life. And the freedom a life can have. So it, it wasn't just sort of specifically about picture books. It was, you know, they, did, it, they had a very unconventional life compared to nearly everyone else I knew. And going down to see, we didn't live in London, but they were in London. Going down to see them was always exciting. Going down to Jan's studio to see what he's working on. This sort of mountain of felt tips and all wow, the art yeah. materials and just these incredible drawings on the wall of whatever the new book was. It was... well, I wanted to ask you about the felt tips specifically because 
when I was a kid, sorry to cut across you, no, no. but when I was a kid, you know, I didn't, I don't have huge memories of lots of picture books around just because we yeah. didn't have lots in the house. But Meg and Maud, they were in the house. So I definitely had, for some reason, a couple of Meg and Maud books. And there's something about the way that you can see the felt tip marks that was an amazing kind of democratic, mind-blowing exactly. thing to see. Because yeah, exactly. at my school, you weren't allowed to do drawings with felt tips. You got told off. Yeah. Because I don't know if felt tips were... I'm not sure what the subtext was there, that there were not proper... Sniffing them. I don't Cause understand. Because it, it stains your shirt yeah. front or something. Maybe. Oh, I, I don't know yeah. what... I don't, to this day, I don't understand why. But I totally so the fact agree. that these were proper yeah. books, and they yeah. were just... You can see, he's just done them on paper yeah. with felt tips. It felt like, oh, wow, we could all do this. That's I a really good point, because one of the things that Jan really sort of held strongly was the idea that mistakes are important and to be celebrated and often lead you in interesting directions. So you may know that Jan was born in Poland and mm. Poland is famous for sort of cut out silhouette art, which marked Those, a lot yeah. of Jan's books. But Jan yes. didn't arrive at the silhouettes because of that. He was back in, it was back in the sixties and he was very, he was always uh, a last minute merchant in terms of deadlines, a bit like me. Another way that you may be taking <laughs> Yes, so you, very much so. I think I'm even worse, but um, so, and he was, I can't remember what the book was. I could have even been Last Kingdom Under the Sea. I can't remember, but he wasn't doing silhouettes and he couldn't get the characters right and the expressions. Mm. And he, he, he had to jump on a bus to go to the publisher to show the artwork that he hadn't got right. Oh, and just before God. he was getting on the bus, he was trying to correct it, and he spilled ink across one of the figures. So he just had to sort of make it into, into a silhouette. And it was, you know, massive disaster for a moment. And then on the bus on the way over, he realised, ah, this silhouette says a huge amount more than if I'd put the expression in. You sort of, you know, your mind does a lot of the work in the way that happens with books you know I mean for people who don't know that book it's beautiful that it, book yeah. is an incredible book that's uh, The Kingdom Under the Sea and also which is a set of short stories by Joan Aiken and I think that might be the first book I actually owned and I I bought it I honestly thought it was magic because it, it's so beautiful and I thought it was like owning the book of Kells or something you know and it's got yeah. these amazing he does backgrounds that were kind of like marbles ink and yeah, so many exactly. different ways yeah. of making a picture in that book and that just felt like the the book itself was magic because of those mm. pictures and he did another one um necklace of raindrops i think it's got a similar technique yeah. and they look like people who don't know it's look they look like those lottie reniger films where the silhouettes are moving around and uh, exactly it's just i can't begin to tell you i mean i've still got my copy and it must have been about nine when I bought it, and it's I've read it to bits, but I would never ever lose it. They're so evocative, aren't they? The world he creates. Well, they were like stained glass windows in your own house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're, yeah, they're, they're, they're beautiful. They're overpoweringly beautiful. I only saw Kingdom Under the Sea. Someone gave it to me a few years ago, and it was um, because I'm such an ignoramus. It was quite a shock because I knew Jan from you know Haunted yeah. House and Megan yeah. Mod, and yeah. I was like. Wow, you know the yeah. breadth of what a range! What a range! That's the thing about Jan. He he was restless to try so many different things, and he was a painter as well. When I came to art school in London, when I was uh, in my early twenties, and I used to go to Jan had a life drawing group in his studio every Friday night. It was on Friday to show your sacrifice. You had to give up Friday night to go to the life group and. <laughs> typical Yan, but it was amazing. And Satoshi Kitamura was one of the people who drew there, who's oh, another right. absolute favourite of mine. And he used to do these sort of merciless caricatures of us all. Uh, wow. And yeah, no, Yan was just incredible. He was one of the most intelligent people I've ever met, with oh. this incredible mind that remembered everything. So if he'd been to see an exhibition, he would remember every detail of what he wow. saw and we'd be talking about it and I, I felt like a dunce because I just couldn't remember everything and you know he, he had such a breadth of knowledge of all that stuff and people don't off, don't always realize the amount of knowledge that can end up going into a children's book oh yeah 
do you think you would be i mean this is a slightly impossible question to answer but do you think you would be working in picture books if it hadn't have been for your relationship with him uh, hard to say um yeah because i i didn't mean to get into picture books i fell into it by accident i was How did that i was a painter i was at Campbell art school and i was a painter and I had a studio when I left, which, and I wasn't selling any paintings, and I was skint. And I had, so I got this part-time job at a place called Gallery 5. Uh, and Gallery 5 was a design studio set up by Jan and David in the 60s. And they were amazing back in the 60s. They did really iconic poster designs and wallpapers and cards. Just unbelievable range, beautiful stuff. And Jan had sort of vacated the scene. I think he just wanted to concentrate on other things. And it must have been around 97 when I, I did two days a week there, just helping putting collections together and stuff like that. And after mm. six months, I had to go at a range of cards. And they said, OK, we'll give them a, a go. And a New York publisher happened to be in London, happened to see the cards, and wrote to me and said, would you be interested in illustrating a board book? couple of board books wow. so it was just it's such a hard wow. world to get into so, which is why i always say to people get your work out there whatever you do mm. get your work out there in some form or another because you never mm. know who might see it yeah yeah and this is pretty obviously these are pre-instagram days yeah yeah, yeah pr- very much right? pre-instagram so yeah, yeah very yeah, much yeah. pre-instagram days so it's like well, how do you get your work out there and that's amazing yeah, so, so yeah, I sort of fell into it like that. But I, I mean, Jan obviously taught me so many lessons over the years. One of them about, so they didn't have a TV. And I, I, oh. I, I remember asking, asking him once why. And he says, he drew a lot. He drew on the tube. Everywhere he went, he had a little moleskin. And he just sketched and looked. And he said, the thing about drawing is it really makes you look at everything around you, at life body language, at social dynamics, all of these things. And if you learn to look at life, you'll never be bored because there's always stuff going on. And I complete, And Jan was always amused by stuff. I've never known anyone who laughed as much and as infectiously as Jan, who was wonderful, naughty company. He was, yeah, he really was. He was a genius and a lovely man. So, Aww. yeah, I was very lucky to know him. And oh, I, I'm, I'm sure I probably wouldn't be in picture books That's incredible. if I hadn't known him. I don't know. Okay, so that was his one mistake. No, I'm joking. <laughs> That's a horrible. Yeah, he, what, he inflicted what, me on such... the world. You always have to go there, Nadia. <laughs> I think one of the things that's interesting about Nadia is that contrast between her lovely radio voice and her acid soul. Absolutely. Frank, I couldn't agree more. Acid soul. I I knew I'd be for it when Nadia asked me to swim to the island. Well, you shouldn't have bought Fid Rolls with you. I was going to ask Ed why he chose picture books, and it's turned out like, well, you know, he grew up in... Mm basically the Florence of <laughs> picture well, books and I, you were with I did. Yeah, Leonardo yeah. da Vinci and you know yeah. so Ed I wanted to ask you about one of my favourite books of yours and Shireen Junior's favourite book of yours How to Be a Lion oh. it's about a lion and a bird the lion is called Leonard and the bird is called Marianne and I would like to know please if these characters are named after who I think they're named. Your suspicions are correct. <laughs> yes, it's, uh, it, it was a bit of an homage to Leonard Cohen and, and Marianne, Aww. who he fell in love with on Idra yeah. many years ago. And he just died just before I started writing the book. And, and the book... So when was that? It came out in 2018. Uh, so I was doing a book tour in the States... I went from San Francisco, sort of meandering across the States until I got to the East Coast. And the backdrop was the 2016 election and the debates between Trump and Hillary Clinton. And I, we just had Brexit. And everybody, obviously, book community, left-leaning, everyone's saying, oh, so sorry, it's very embarrassing, mm. don't worry, he won't get in. And I just thought, you know what? The world mm. this year has tilted on its axis and I don't feel... Sure. Mm. And he'd made those, those comments he'd made on the bus about grabbing mm. women just came mm. out. And I just thought, this guy, if he becomes president, 
is going to be listened to by an awful lot of people. And that voice, that toxic, narrow idea of masculinity is going to drip down into a lot of children. And that's going to you know, be a part of informing who they become. So I wanted to write a book that countered that narrow idea of masculinity. So how, you know, how to be a lion, there are many ways to be a lion. And, and the book is about a lion who is a poetic soul. And the other lions suggest that, you know, there's only one way to be a lion. You've got to be fierce. And he's friends with this duck called Marianne, who's a poet also. She helps him with the poem when they meet. Um, and the other lions are enraged that he's not chomping this duck. And he and Marianne have to go away to his thinking hill and work out how to say to the other lions, basically, let me be me. You be you, let me be me. And I... And I a lot that you know when children first go to school it can be quite hard if you're a quieter voice as I was mm. to not be swayed by the noisier more domineering voices and I wanted to write a book that said be okay with who you are and also if you're a boy there are many ways of being a boy you don't just have to be yeah. good at football and tough you can like books you can like poetry you can be compassionate creative, empathetic, as well as strong. And it was about trying to write a character who's a well-rounded person and encompasses all of those things. And I'd been in Florida earlier that year and got into a conversation with a big Trump supporter. It was a very civil conversation, but he wouldn't hear what I was saying and I wouldn't really hear what he was saying. But I thought, if I can write a book that says what I think, He's going to read that book to his son. And I'm not explicitly saying anything about Trump. I'm just suggesting there are many ways to be a human being, to be a boy, to be a girl. You know, there are all, it can encompass so much. And Trump was such a limited view of masculinity. You know, all his rage and bullying comes from a place of weakness. Absolute weakness, I think. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, 100%. So that's what the book was and also it implicates you, I think, as a, as a boy myself. <laughs> it's that implication that we're all like that behind closed doors. That was yeah. really horrible. Yeah. And what I loved about How to Be a Lion, A, what a great title. And B, it did take me straight back. I loved the, the lions themselves, the way the lions look in that book. But that he's still a lion. Exactly. You know, he doesn't have to change into something else. He's still a lion. And actually, your lions are quite uniform. They all look fairly alike. He's not a smaller lion or a fluffier lion. He's still a lion, right? No, exactly. And there's a moment in the book where he has to sort of bristle against the other yeah. lions. And I wanted to show that, you know, being a creative, empathetic character doesn't mean you're not also strong. Mm. Yeah, I, I loved that about it, that, you know, this is a legitimate way to be a lion. He doesn't have to you know, redesign himself or anything. Yeah, exactly. But I love, yeah, it's lovely to read a picture book where thinking about things yeah. is given space. So I'm very bad, I'm very bad at creating that kind of space in my books. It's very action, this, that happens, that happens. And so it's always nice to read a book where we can just contemplate or we watch the characters contemplating. And it's, you know, like you say, it's not a showy thing, but it's a very valuable thing to show children that it's okay to just sit and contemplate and think about well, things. children do do that, don't they? they, do. Yeah, they do. Oh, yeah, definitely. But, Nadia, there are many ways to be a picture book as well as many ways to be alive. And your picture books are picture books too, in a funny way. Uh, in, a, in a funny way. Damn it. Right, let's move on. Um, Ed, apart from this disastrous crate of fig rolls that you've dragged onto the island and goose fat let's not all the goose fat i'm going to cover the fig rolls and goose fat and set them alight and dance <laughs> in front of the flames um but oh, have do you have any books that you're uh, well leave hold on way? let me just delve to the bottom of this figgy crate because yes oh. i i've brought a couple of books along with me I, none of them particularly new or at all new that's okay. and i hope that's okay So there's a book that I came to maybe about six or seven years ago, which I wished I'd had when I was about seven or eight. It's called Frog and Toad Are Friends. 
by oh, Arnold Lobel, and it is just oh, there. This is a, a book of wonderful short stories, but it, it's written in such a spare way. But it's so funny. It's so funny, and it's so full of pathos. It's moving. It's beautiful. I can sort of find it hard not to well up in quite a few of the stories and then like there's a story called the lost button where so frog is a sort of reasonable character and toad is forever grumpy or annoyed that he has to get up and flies into a rage if he thinks he's lost a button from his jacket sounds like you frank (laughs) yeah that's me so i (laughs) i just love the world that arnold noble creates the the illustrations are absolutely beautiful. It's a wonderful friendship. Arnold Lobel was gay and he was talking very much about a male-male relationship in that book mm-hmm. and love. It's sensational. It hasn't dated in any way. Those stories came out in the 70s. Yeah. And there's a gentleness yeah. to it. and that, It's just spectacular. I absolutely love it. And it's, I guess it sort of reminds me a bit of a book I loved when I was young, which was Wind in the Willows. And another toad who's an outrageous character who I found endlessly hilarious. But just, it evoked a beautiful existence somehow. Yeah, they definitely have something in common. I think so, yeah, I think so. Thank you, I'm delighted with that. and, And then another one I came very late to, and it was just such an amazingly fresh voice. Incredibly witty, a breath of fresh air to me. And it was I Captured the Castle by Dodie Smith, oh, which is yes. just a sensational book. I hadn't read, I hadn't read 101 Dalmatians, which I must, but it blew me away. It was <gasps> so funny. And again, it's, it evokes a setting, a world mm-hmm. that you're completely and thoroughly absorbed into. But it's this interior monologue of the main character. It'd be hard to turn it into a film or maybe they have done, I don't know. It's a really good film. Is it? It's Bill Nye, and the script was by... Oh, I must see it. Heidi Thomas wrote the script. Right. Who does Call the Midwife, and it's a beautiful film. Is it? Oh, I must see it. But yeah. anyway, so it's they're my two books, but that... Well, thank you, I... because I Capture the Castle, so many people have told me I would love it, and shamefully... You'd love it. I have not read it yet, so I'm going to read it. I'm going to start today, and that's a promise. Yeah, it's very good. But uh, there's, I, there's a book I wanted to put in, but I couldn't. Go on. It's a book that's what? about to come out called Jeffrey Gets the Jitters. <laughs> hey. and I just hey, yes. can't. I forget who the author illustrator yeah. is. Actually, um, I think it's yeah. Diana Noreen. <laughs> that sounds about right. Yeah, some, Diana Noreen, yeah. something like some, that. Anyway, some fig-hating castaway. I hear she's very funny, beautiful, <laughs> intelligent, uh, seeking good sense of humour, <laughs> and teeth and hair. <laughs> well, that's very kind of you, Ed. I suppose I won't feed you to the sharks. Oh, thank you. Seeing as you've been so kind. Cynical. You sold yourself for a pair of Twix. (laughs) (laughs) Only a pair. Oh, Oh, okay then. Let me change my tune. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Ed, those are fantastic choices, and you've been um, a reasonable guest. (laughs) You have been reasonable. Thank you. Well, I have to say, Nadia, it's been a delight. Frank, got a long swim home. It's it's a long swim, and to hear those dulcet tones of yours has been a pleasure. Through and through. Look, I don't want you to have that long swim back. So you will, if you come, follow me this way, okay. you will see I have a human, I have a cannon, a cannon. <laughs> Should I trust you, Shireen? <laughs> you could be the first experimental Island of Brilliant human cannonball. You're already slightly okay, greased let me... with this map. You'll just flip right <laughs> that cannon. Okay, hold on. Let me just climb up that little ladder. Yeah. Anyway, lovely to see you. I'm just going to light the fuse. And we'll see you. Bye, Ed. Bye. 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 Oh, there's been a malfunction. Oh, what a shame. (laughs) Oh, well. There's some good books behind. (laughs) Death gets into this every week. (laughs) Banana. Well, it's a shame that cannon thing went wrong because he sounded like a really nice bloke. <laughs> he was 
was a really nice writer. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Such a nice writer. We've gone through quite a lot, haven't we? Yeah. I was completely... I had no idea about the Yampi and Kelsey thing, and I'm, I'm reeling from that. That was, to me, that was it, that was an emotional thing for me. Uh, yeah, it was amazing. That, that was just amazing. But it interrupted us because you were about to talk about what, what you've been reading, Nadia. Well, I mean, yeah, a bit of a hard act to follow, but I will, I will quickly, let me quickly run you through a couple. I've got a big pile here, but I will pick out two books that have really um, caught my attention. The first one is Adventure Mice, Otter <laughs> Chaos by uh, Philip Reeve and, and Sarah, Sarah McIntyre. Yeah. And I was so taken with this book. It is a chapter book, but it's a very young chapter book. There are maybe eight chapters, heavily illustrated with these exquisite illustrations by Sarah. Sarah McIntyre has done done loads of picture books and she's a comic book artist and she does stuff for the Phoenix magazine. Her illustrations in this book are beautiful. They're done with, I I I presume it's kind of acrylic ink or watercolour, and they're at at once very colourful and yet very measured and slightly kind of 1960s yellow submarine psychedelic here and there and it's a lovely story that philip reeve has written or i think they they collaborate on a yeah. few books grumpy corn i think is one yes and um pugs in space pugs. yeah pugs in space pugs in the frozen north and yeah they've done they've done loads of fantastic books together but this this really caught my eye um so i don't know how i, I it says at the back that philip helps sarah with some of the drawings and sarah helps philip with some of the story so i think it's because he's a brilliant artist himself right so it's a true yes and they both live near each other i think and go on i think so in, in dartmoor, dartmoor yeah. and they draw trees together and it sounds like a kind of idyllic existence yeah. but this is like in a different league from the other things that i've done i well, think i, I, think, I it's think it's so beautiful it's just perfect what struck me when I was reading this I was like what does this remind me of and as you know I'm quite ill-read but it kept making me think about Oliver Postgate I was going to say exactly that there's there's a definite kind of noggin vibe to those (laughs) mice as well isn't there in that it's like they're very very alive but they also look medieval yeah and also that just just the whole the effortless way that they've just created a whole world and it's one that you want to immerse yourself in and it's completely there's no, you know, they know who their audience is. They are all about pleasing and thrilling and exciting um, a child. And I love yeah. that. You can tell. You can really tell their intention. I'm so glad you said Oliver Post. Yeah. Because there is no higher praise. It's nostalgic <laughs> without the kind of negative connotations of what nostalgia can be. Like It's not, nos- yeah. it's not lazy yeah. nostalgia. It's exciting and it's current no, and it's no, also no. very contemporary. And it's about a mouse yeah. called Pedro. Yeah. And all he wants to be is that he, he, he meets this band of kind of adventurous mice who live on this ship. And um, they've got helicopters and they've got, you know, aeroplanes. And there's this brilliant illustration of the mouse base. Yes. A cutaway illustration, which is like got detailed labels like the water wheel pump, the water purifier, the helipad, the games room, the windmill, food store. You know, all, like you could just lose yourself in these pictures. Yeah. And it's, a, and it's just a really warm, lovely story about Pedro, the little mouse, who meets the other adventure mice. And he really wants to join them. But they're like, oh, no, you can't, Pedro. You're too small. This isn't this isn't for you. And then adventure befalls them while he's with the adventure mice. And I think perfect for uh, children who are maybe ready for a few more words, maybe, or who, who kind yeah. of don't... Some Sometimes chapter books can look a bit dense or a bit long. I think this is a lovely bridge between them and the illustrations are full colour. Yeah, it's yeah. an adventure. And, and, yeah. and I think another book that kind of falls in a similar category... I'm really fascinated by this category, which is like... Not quite the large picture book format, but not quite a middle grade black and white book, but somewhere yeah. in between. Which brings me on to the yeah. second book, which is Bear and Bird by Jarvis. And this oh, is yeah. a beautiful, I've got a hardback copy in my hands. And it's um, smaller than a picture book format, but it's still a hardback with full colour illustrations inside. And they're basically short stories for younger readers if you are reading a picture book to your child, you could also read them Bear and Bird because language-wise and kind of thematically, you're kind of talking about the same things, but it's presented in a slightly different package. It is beautiful. It's very charming. It's about two friends, Bear and Bird, 
This book is called The Picnic and Other Stories. And there, there are four stories. The flower, the picnic, the painting and the blanket. And they are really charming. Jarvis is such a talent. Yeah. And this, I feel like he's almost like created a new format here. Yeah, a kind of chapter picture book. There aren't many in that category, but they are. That that is a really kind of interesting space to be. I mean, your own Grimwood books are not that far away from that. You know, they're very heavily I know. illustrated. I, but but, the, but they're a bit, they're very alive on the page. They're longer, and I think they might baffle a four. Yeah, yeah, sure. But that space where there's a lot of pictures, but also a lot of words. Yeah. I, I mean, like Petit Nicolas, you know, the French uh, ones, which, which Sempe drew. He, you know, yes, yeah. It was a great New Yorker artist. Yeah. That, and they're, they're lovely. And they're actually, we just talked about The Kingdom Under the Sea, which is not that different, in a different way. A book that's sort of, you can hold in your hand. It's got lots of pictures, and lots of stories as well. And that's a lovely, lovely thing. I think it's one of my favourite sort of areas of book, if you like. The Noggin books. Postgate did books of those did things. They? I yeah, don't know. they're gorgeous. Oh, yeah. okay. I'm going to have to dig some of those out. Never saw the sun go shining so bright. Never saw things just going so right. Noticing the days go hurrying by. When you're in love, my holiday fly. Hi, Frank. Hi, Nadia. It's Emily Drabble from Book Trust here. How's life on the island of Brilliant? Um, I've got a few books to tell you about today and then I'm going to send them over on hot air balloon. The first one is Glow Rushes by Robert Pumini, published by Pushkin. Oh, I'd say it's a book for kids age 10 or over if they're reading it to themselves, but this is a book that would be really lovely to read out loud to a child and then you could go for a bit younger, eight or nine, I think. So it's a story of Madara. He's a boy, he's so allergic to the outside world, including direct sunlight and even air, so he has to live in a few rooms in the centre of his father's palace. His father summons a famous and really incredible painter called Sukhumat to paint beautiful murals on the walls of the chambers to give Madara a kind of life. But Madara is blessed with this amazing imagination and he's full of joy thinking up these amazing stories which Sukhumat paints. And as time goes by, Madara gets sicker and weaker. But Sukhumat is so nice, he stays to help the boy live his whole life through those beautiful, ever-changing paintings, through those paints and brushes. Now, I cry, honestly, if I even think of this book. It's truly a masterpiece and everyone has to read it. It's just utterly gripped by the sparkling perfection of it. And while I was reading it, I could think of nothing else. I just kept running back to the book. And it's no wonder, because in Italy, I discovered, Roberto Piomini is a household name. And this book, Glow Rushes, is a story that most Italian children will have read. It was published in 1987. But English speakers have been missing out big time. So this new, tr newly translated version, published by Pushkin, is the first that I, or most of us in the UK, are hearing of Roberto Piomini. Um, so thank you, Pushkin, and the wonderful translator, Leah Genesco. Um, it makes me wonder how many other amazing children's books I'm missing out on because they aren't translated. Now I want to tell you about Yomi and the Fury of the Ninky Nanka by debut author Davina Tijani and illustrated by Adam Douglas Bagley. It's published by Little Tiger. So Yomi, who's aged around 10, and her younger brother Kay are spending the summer with their uncle Ulu, who's a Nakara, a dragon researcher traveling the world lecturing on african studies they are in the gambia's capital city banjul when yomi sees ninki nanka the famous and ferocious water dragon and realizes it's in trouble slowly yomi finds out about the true nature of her uncle's work which goes far deeper than academic research but is actually a fight against this group of people called the beast hunters who want to wipe the nakara the dragons out altogether and that would have catastrophic results for the earth. So this is a really energetic read. I'd say it's great for eight to 10 year olds. I'd say it's perfect for fans of Beast Quest. And it's also a fabulous introduction to folklore and the rich mythology of the Gambia, which I have to say I knew nothing about. 
I've since looked these dragons up and realised you can actually do like a Ninky Nanka trail in the Gambia, which sounds thrilling. I really would love to do it. So I learnt loads and it really got me Googling. And I was thinking of you on the island. You know, have you explored? Are there any dragons on the island? Um, there could be some really odd creatures. So I hope this is going to give you a bit of inspiration as well. Now I want to tell you about a picture book. It's called The Thunk and it's by Michelle Robinson and illustrated by Deborah Allwright, published by Bloomsbury. So, a thunk is a beast. It's a bit like a skink, although it's more like a skunk on account of the stink. It's thought to be extinct, but the young explorer Hector Voltaire, who's had his fair share of other kids saying his head's full of air, is determined to find one, and find one he does. In fact, he finds six, 63,402 and they're all living a lovely life in the forest so Hector comes to the realisation that if he shows off about this as planned these fabulous creatures may end up in zoos and that won't be very nice <laughs> so this is a book with a glorious rhythm and rhyme it really puts me in mind of Dr Seuss actually which I love to read out loud um, Michelle Robertson is a genius she really knows how to find the joy in books and her intention is to make you laugh and enjoy the ride and basically love reading she does it so well and the illustrations by deborah Allwright are fabulous i think you'll love the thunk it's a really great creature really great book now i want to tell you about max and chaffee the great cupcake mystery by jamie smart published by david fickling books well, this book set my head totally spinning and I haven't really recovered from reading it. But it's the second book in the Max and Chaffee series set on Animal Island. It's aimed at really new readers, I'd say age six and seven, once you've actually kind of just about learned to read. But boy, it is fun. <laughs> this time, Max and Chaffee investigate when the strawberry cupcake that crumbles, a kind of duckish creature, has made for Chief Constable Moose. When that cupcake goes missing, Max and Chaffee find a lot of clues through the insanely colourful pages and they meet their friends, including Bradley, who's a kind of bear, who is making lanterns by putting glowing moss in jars, and Orlando, I don't know what Orlando is, but he's painting a sign to fly behind his aeroplane and um, has a lot of spelling problems. It's kind of like being dragged into a weird computer game, but I think kids will love reading this. It's really funny. I don't know what Chaffee is, but he speaks like this. Meep, meep. And he hides a lot. And you, dear reader, have to find him on the pages. So it's also a bit like reading Where's Wally. It's mad and brilliant. It made my head spin. So I definitely highly recommend this book. And finally... I want to recommend This Rock Is Mine, written by Kay Umansky, illustrated by Alice McKinley, and published by Alison Green Books. Now, I don't know if you two have had any conflict on your small island, and I can't believe you would do, but just in case it happens, this could be a useful book for you. We have two frogs arguing over a small rock where they both set up camp, each insisting, this rock is mine, Concerned ants and other insects perfectly convey the looks you get if you argue about stupid things. I kind of recognise those looks. But then, uh-oh, a common enemy. This is actually Heron's rock, and now the two frogs must find a new rock and find that they can live in perfect harmony. So it's a great book to open a conversation on the joy of sharing and compromise with little ones. Um, the illustrations by Alice McKinley are so funny and detailed. It's a really gorgeous book. So I hope you enjoy it and I hope you have a brilliant time on the island reading all these amazing books. Bye! Well, um, so, that, so what, but I mean, you know, now Ed's left us with all of these books to, to wade through. Um, yeah. I'll leave the fid rolls to you, I think, but I'm going to... You can have the fid rolls. I'm going to... Um, head back to my hammock with this Dodie Smith book I think yeah you love that you will love that and then might go uh, Twix harvesting a bit later yeah but for now I'm going to say good night Nadia good night Frank
And good night to producer Jeff Bird, wherever he is. Good night, brilliant producer Jeff, in your little, in your little cupboard somewhere. <laughs> good night, Emily Drabble, and your convenient shell. And uh, good night to the ukulele of trio, who you you liked that, didn't you? You enjoyed seeing Ed Veer um, being scattered through the through the sky, didn't you? Yeah, they did. They're nodding. <laughs> Strange bunch. Night night. <laughs> and good night to Ed, falling out of the sky in a cloud of smoke. <laughs> Raise a toast to the remnants of Ed Veer as they rain through the sky. Banana. Banana.